Hello, and welcome to Talkie Talk, the podcast for the media of IS. My name is Brent. I'm here today with TJ. Yo! And Chris. Hello. And we're going to be talking about things we've been watching. Just getting back to our routine after uh, Oscar season has mercifully come to a close. It'll be nice. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. Just just watch whatever you want to now. I've been calling it the big exhale, but then I realized that sometimes people call that death. <laughs> so I shouldn't call it that. Ugh. Um, yeah. <laughs> So, uh, TJ, we'll start with you. What you been watching? I watched a few things, actually. I started a TV show kind of at the end of the Oscar push. Um, so I watched and finished Umbrella Academy on Netflix, which I'm sure will be on y'all's radar soon. Um, I like all Umbrella things yes. very much. It's good. Except the Umbrella Corporation, who's the company that's responsible for the release of the T-Virus in the Resident Evil universe. Mm-hmm. Umbrellas of Cherbourg, also. Not my favorite musical. <sighs> yeah. I, could, I could segue into zombie mode on PUBG now. No, nope. the Umbrella Academy. No, nope. okay, yeah. sorry. Eat your Segway. Well, right. <laughs> uh, Umbrella Academy. It's uh, it's good. It's super entertaining. I've read the uh, um, comics yeah. online. Essentially the same story, but it's it's forty something kids are born uh, on the same day to unexpected mothers and uh, philanthropists. Entrepreneur goes around trying to adopt as many as he can. And he adopts seven. And those are your main seven characters of the show. Wait, so these kids are born to mothers who didn't know they were pregnant. First scene of Umbrella Academy is a is a woman that Ukraine or Russia. She's uh, flirting with a boy. She jumps in a pool and gives birth. She's not visibly pregnant. Oh, it's like some weird. Okay. Sci-fi. Shit. Understood. Um, they all have powers. They're kind of quirky powers. Like, number one has super strength. He also, he names them one through seven. He just says, like, there's no use for names. Yeah. Uh, and he uh, rates them in how useful their abilities are to him. So, number one has super strength. Number two can throw things really accurately and hard and well. And then they get weird. Number three can alter reality um, by... Telling somebody something. Okay. And then, like, number four can talk to the dead. Number five can travel through space. Number six has, uh, like... Just through space? Three... Because I can do that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Through time, too, but that comes into, like, episode a little later than the, than the, uh, pilot. But, uh, the weirdest one is one of the kids has, essentially, like, Cthulhu inside him. And he can, like, release him. Huh. Um... Which obviously is kind of hard to control. Yeah. Kind of part of the plot, too. But it's fun. It doesn't end on as fun as it starts. Um, you get some flashbacks to when they're kids and like a superhero team that are kind of fun. But it's definitely worth a watch. It's 30 minutes and I think 10 episodes. Is it kind of the classic, uh, st- like, uh, we have a great idea? Not quite sure what to do with it, but it's a really cool, like, premise? No, because the comic book nails it. Like, oh, so they just changed something that they didn't need to change, you think? Um, or and the, story the first the series place. of the comic book is just not. <clears throat> so it feels like they made this thinking they might not be able to make a second series. And the mm. comic book knew they were going to have three series. So. Makes sense. They had to kind of hedge their bets there a little bit. but See, I didn't know this was. I thought it was an original. No. Thing. It's a Dark Horse comic from like the early aughts. It's pretty old. Hmm. But um, it's good. Ellen Page is not that great in it, oddly. But the rest of the crew is really good. Tom Hopper's really good. He's the 
Samuel Tarley's brother, the one. Oh, Dickon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the one that gets fried. One of the ones. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I recommend it. It's super fun and easy, and it's a Netflix show, and I want them to keep making nice I, content. I've heard it described in other podcasts as uh, uh, you expect Netflix TV shows at this point to be okay, and this one is good. Yeah. Graphics are good. It looks like a movie. And when they need special effects, they do a good job of masking some of those special effects. Yeah. Like, they'll go behind a door and do some crazy shit and come back. You know what I mean? Kind of so, like people when they're like standing in front of their dog and they throw a blanket up over them and they run out. <laughs> kind of. Okay. <laughs> but at this point, this, they make it up as like comedy. So it's kind of funny. Okay. You know what I mean? I don't know. But uh, it's good. I recommend that. Also, uh, play a new video game. Not new. PUBG released the zombie mode um, in partnership with Resident Evil. That's what it's called. You're in like Raccoon County or whatever. Okay. I was like, yeah. I was wondering why you were saying that there was a Resident Evil tie-in. Yeah, you're in Raccoon County in like the... Raccoon City. Raccoon... Well, uh, yeah. There's a Raccoon County Sheriff's Office. That's why. Okay. Whatever. Um, I guess it could be Raccoon County too, but Raccoon City, Raccoon County. It's like Orange, Orange County. Yeah, just like that. <laughs> well, no, there's the yeah, city of Orange in Orange County. Uh, it's weird. I thought it was going to be like... Y'all remember the old... Uh, did y'all ever play zombie mode on like Black Ops yeah. games? Where it was just like a free-for-all non-stop horde of zombies until you died? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this like is... waves? Yeah. 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 So this is regular PUBG. Right. Squads of four. And you drop in the middle of the day, and in five minutes it becomes nighttime and zombies come out. And they're attacking everybody. You can st- the goal is still to kill all the other squads. Right. They're just zombies in the way. And instead of uh, like loot crates falling, um, huge bad zombies will pop up. And they take forever to kill. And they'll give you like really good loot. Okay. And there's two waves of zombies. And that's it. And it's just daytime forever. Okay. Um, second wave is really hard though to hmm. get by. But it's super fun. It's silly. <laughs> is this the first time they've introduced like environmental dangers to you in PUBG? Or was that a thing before? Kind like, of. I mean, there's there's always the... I mean, one of the main uh, mechanics of the genre of a battle royale is there is a circle that is ever-shrinking. Oh, true. I guess I meant, like, things that you can visibly see in the game that can kill you that aren't controlled so by other players. So, since day one, there's also been... Uh, it's called a red zone. And it doesn't kill you that often, but it can. And a red zone just pops up on the map, and then they drop bombs on it. It's like being shelled by artillery. Okay. Yeah. Which and it's first, totally random. Which the first time uh, we were ever, TJ and I, were ever in the red zone, we were playing with one of your brothers, and I was like, oh, red zone, and your brother said, eh, whatever, it's not like it's going to kill you, and then he immediately died. <laughs> got blown up. He immediately yeah. got shelled. Because <laughs> it is rare. I mean, I still yeah. I ignore it for the most part. But uh, it's fun, little zombie mode. It's, it's crazy. Once you realize what the goal is, you it gets a little less fun because you stop shooting zombies. <laughs> You realize like you just look for fire for other people fighting zombies, and you can run over there and pick them off. Yeah, um, but it's fun. And I watched two movies. Nice. What were they? So me and Chris on the uh, Oscar recap podcast decided we wanted to be able to talk about how bad Green Book is in the whole echelon of what ninety Oscar ninety one best picture winners. <clears throat> so we're gonna watch. All slash as many as we can. There are a couple that are, are not available. I made a right. spreadsheet. Yeah. Um, although one of the ones that's not available, Brent owns, which oh, is awesome. Nice. Rebecca. Yeah, Rebecca. 
Um, so I'm watching the newest that's free streaming and the oldest that is free streaming in that order so I don't get bogged down. And um, it was started with the newest. I rewatched Chicago. I'd seen it before. It's really good. Yeah, they do a really good job. Um, that's one of the ones in in the past thirty years that's in my blind spot. I think I've got four, and Chicago is one of them. Yeah, I saw it with the girl I was dating when it came out. So like into high school, mm-hmm. and I was with a girl, so I wasn't really watching anything. Mm-hmm. But uh, you were sitting there just sweating and clutching <laughs> the, the arms of your theater seat, going, yeah. "Put my arm around her." We were in a theater, so yeah, I wasn't <laughs> definitely wasn't watching. Anything. Uh-oh. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. but. I only hope she's listening because that means we've got one more listener. (laughs) She's not listening. (laughs) Um, So they do a good job. I've seen the musical too, so that helps a little bit. The musical is like, it's just, you know, break into song in the middle of a scene like any other musical would be. They do a good job in Chicago, the movie, of having a movie and then it cut to like them in a musical setting and performing their song. So it doesn't seem as like eye rolly, I guess, in the way that musicals can get sometimes. Um, and the performances are, are really good. Uh, Renee Zellweger is really good. Catherine Zeta-Jones, who I'm not a fan of, is really good, and she won supporting actress for it. Yeah, and John C. Riley is probably my favorite. He's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, at, at the at the time, uh, supporting actor from uh, Never Been Kissed. Yeah, <laughs> this is also the same year of Gangs of New York. Yeah, so he was in two of the five Best Picture nominees. Yeah, in supporting roles. Was he in the third? movie that year because that's, that's I don't think it's that year because I look uh, unless he's in the hours that's the only one I hadn't seen he very well could be <laughs> I don't know there's I forget which year coined the John C. Riley award for right appears in the most best picture nominees but we don't even use that award anymore <laughs> we use our own made up bullshit trivia thing well the first one was made up too <laughs> well yeah but at, at, at the very least like if I'm John C. Riley's agent and I'm like Sitting in a production meeting, and or I'm like pitching John C. Riley to some yeah, producer. Yeah, definitely more like, like, like John was in three Best Picture nominees last year, right? And was in the Best Picture winner, right? He is in. He plays Dan Brown in The Hours. Dan Brown, like Dan Brown. <laughs> yep, that movie. <laughs> the movie that's set in the fifties. He, uh, you know, uh, he plays baby. Well, I said I've never seen it. You dick. <laughs> Just tell me if it's Dan Brown. He plays Baby Dan. Don't get smart. He's not playing the, the author of the Da Vinci Code. He's actually okay. playing the the uh, character that Da Vinci Code is based off of, who's also named Dan. Brown. <laughs> what what an idiot! Didn't know when the hours was set. <laughs> I was really hoping you would snap back at me that I made that joke, and I'd be like, I read the Da Vinci Code. <laughs> actually, I guess it did come out before the, before you got famous, Dan Brown. But anyway, uh, Chicago is really good. I recommend it, but you're going to watch it anyway at some point. Yeah, so. And, and so this this is kind of the point of the whole exercise. Is it better or worse than Green Book? Better. Because we had a joke feature on our Talk of Fame where we would say better or worse than The Great Wall. But I think this time we actually have a good policy reason to ask the question, is it better or worse than X meme movie? And this time is, is, it, is the best picture winner that you just watched better or worse than Green Book? Yeah, it's, it's better than Green Book. Okay. Because at some point, we will be able to cobble together a list from our watch lists of the best, best picture movies. Correct. That is the goal. <laughs> um, I watched another best picture winner from 1947. I watched uh, Laurence Olivier's Hamlet. It's Hamlet. 
I don't know, man. There's nothing interesting about it. I mean, I get it, because at the time, I was talking to my mom about it a little bit, and she was saying, like, your entire, like, AP British Lit class when you were a senior in high school was Shakespeare. Like, you learned yeah. about, like, romanticism a little while, but it was, like, 75% just learning all about Shakespeare. Yeah. Uh, and she was like, I learned a little Shakespeare in college. And she went to college in the 70s. Yeah. So, like, it wasn't a wildly known story, I don't think, in the 40s for the masses when it came out. Sure. And it's a good reproduction of Hamlet, but the it's just fucking Hamlet. The Hunger Games of their times. Yes. Uh, so, was so is it Hamlet is the play that no production company puts on before Superstition? No. Does anyone know that, that like, old Superstition? I thought that was Mac- I think that's it Macbeth. It is Macbeth. Okay. Yeah. But I don't know why. I was I was wondering. I was, I've heard that. Yeah, I was wondering if that was one of those things that, like, maybe in 1947, them doing Hamlet was like kind of a bold choice. But if it's Macbeth, then that's why they still haven't made a good Macbeth. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did watch the one with Mel Gibson in it, and I'll stand. What was happened to him? <laughs> yeah, oh. seems seems to be a good superstition. Uh, they renamed, Macbeth makes you racist. <laughs> they renamed it the Beaver, and Jodie Foster's in it. <laughs> What did we watch instead of the Beaver on that podcast where we put the one fan vote we had? Oh, I have no idea. We watched the Beaver was an option though. I don't think I was here for that one. Fuck, is that I don't feel at home in this world anymore? Oh yeah. Oh, I was here for that one because I was like, I'll watch the Beaver. I'll watch. I don't feel at home in this world anymore. I will not watch the one about the lady who shot herself on TV. Oh yeah. I was like, I don't want no. I don't want to watch that. I like reading about that. But anyway. It's I've I've seen one performance of Hamlet by a high school. This was this, better. Okay, <laughs> good. Lawrence Olivier is good in it. <laughs> I did. It did. I realized watching two adaptations of prior productions. I feel like there should be an Oscar or an award for that to counter original films. Because best like, remake of a production, not even of a movie. So best stage adaptation almost? Just reproduction of an adapta- adaptation of a prior production. Similar to a screenplay. Similar to adapted screenplay, but just like adapted production? Yes. It's got to be produced at some point. Okay. Stage or TV or film. So like Ghostbusters Answer the Call wouldn't count. Right. But, right. But if you had like a, like Nathan for You, their movie that they had... Would yes. that count? Wait, what? Because they're scaling up their production from a TV show to a movie? Or is this just from play or theater to movie? I'm saying, yeah, a taking a production and adapting it into a new film. So, something to take fences out I guess Ghostbusters probably would picture. count. That's technically adapted from Ghostbusters. I mean, they have like the same ideas. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're not hiding anything. I'm, I'm just already predicting what people would say if Oscar, if the Academy took that approach. Uh-huh. And people would say, well, now we're just going to get more unoriginal ideas out of Hollywood. But I like, I don't, I don't hate them. I don't, I don't I just, think that that's a valid argument. I find it very hard for me to compare Chicago and Gangs of New York. Two four and a half star movies. You know what I mean? One that was original based off like very loose historical Basically fact. based on rumors. Yeah. And one that's just a reproduction of a thing that had been happening for 50 years. Right. Like, why do they get... I feel like the bar is set so much lower for them. Mm. Like, they've already got a story that they know is guaranteed to be good. Right. They don't have to worry about the screenplay at all. It's written for them. You right. You know what I mean? And then at that point, what you're awarding is the adaptation of the screenplay, because that's, like, the highest degree of difficulty. But the actual performance, you can watch 
thousands of hours of tape of people performing those roles. Right. Sort of like Fences? Yeah. Well, yeah. Fences is also a special case because it was... Same actor. Same actor in the same role. Right. Nominated for Best Actor that he had won... Did he win a Tony for it? Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. We valid it too, I think. Yeah. She, yeah. She's won a Tony and an Oscar for doing the same thing. <laughs> and I don't hate it. I'm not opposed to it. I just right. don't want that compared to Birdman. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Like... It's a different type of... I mean, it is different Like it, to award someone for... you got to remember how to do that thing you did really well five years ago. Versus like... Here's a character you got to figure out. This character, yeah, that, there's you, no, that you have no experience with. It's yours, and there's no tape. There's nobody's right. written on this guy. Yeah, you know what I mean. I have, I have a really probably shitty thing to say, but almost like the adaptation is easier, even if it's like your first attempt. Like if it's the first scene that gets filmed, that's fine. You could do thirty takes, but if it's like live on oh, stage right. or on Broadway, it's way harder. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the Actors Roundtable that me and you watch, they talk about that. I mean, like, all of them. Michael Caine's like, I get nervous as hell when I'm on stage. Yeah. I get nervous on the film set. Oh, Chalamet, I think that's where he's going to go. I think he's going to, like, in, in like, ten years, he's not going to be in movies anymore. He was in love with Hugh Jackman, man. Yeah. He was just like, you're my idol. Yeah. <laughs> you were my idol because I was a nerdy kid growing up and I loved comic books. And then I saw <laughs> you do, an, do, like, some off-Broadway production and... I was like, look at this guy. He can be Wolverine and he can sing in a musical. Yeah. And it's like, well, shit. I mean, you hear a lot of actors who say they'd rather do the stage. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably more of a thrill when you're actually doing it. Yeah. And yeah, every every night you create the performance Mm -hmm. as opposed to kind of giving another artist your raw material and saying, this is what I gave you. Now shape it. Mm Mm-hmm. I guess I just kind of look at them like I do, like, song covers. Like, cover a song, that's fine, but, like, make it interesting. Don't just sound like Bob Dylan. Do, like, Cat Power. You know what I mean? Doing, like, change stuck inside a mobile, so now it's something mm-hmm. different and awesome and kind of, like, flamenco almost. You know what I mean? And, like, that's why, I like, like Starsborn was... I'm fine with that. You can remake Starsborn 20 more times if you want to, if you just keep changing it so it's... So, something... Is different, you know what I mean. So, are you in the camp that gets frustrated with best original score and when movies get disqualified for using pieces written for other things? Yeah, absolutely. That shit's, I mean, it's over the top nonsense. Yeah, you know, I mean, like the Birdman score not being there because the guy like written some of those drum licks two years prior or whatever is ridiculous. Right. I mean, I also understand they have to draw a line somewhere. Right. Yeah. But. You can't just, or you'll get what they do for, I'm also annoyed by musicals that add a song in to get a nomination. Yeah. How, how was the added song in Chicago? I don't even remember it. I mean, yeah. It wasn't as good as the rest of them, because what would it be? Yeah. Like, you're really going to add a song to Les Mis to get another Oscar nomination? <laughs> or just, no, it's stupid. But anyway, how was, uh, compared to Green Book, uh, was Green Book better or worse than the 1947 Laurence Olivier Hamlet? And I know that this is a difficult question, especially because you're so like, is Green Book better than Shakespeare? I rated a Hamlet higher on Letterboxd. But you, if you don't want to answer further, we'll take that. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll say this. It is a better feat of its time than Green Book is of its time. I rated Hamlet a star and a half higher than I rated Green Book. Okay. 
So if, if but I would rather watch Green Book again than Hamilton. <laughs> but if we, if, so then I have my answer, and you can reject it or not. But I'm going to still keep it. Uh-huh. To me, that means if we turn the screws on you and said, "What is a better movie?" You would say Hamlet. Yeah. Okay. That's all I want to know. Yeah. That's, it's like uh, you know, The Force Awakens is a is a flashier technical achievement than like Empire Strikes Back, but Empire Strikes Back is a better movie. I would watch. Force Although it's not Awakens. a great comparison, just yeah. because Empire Strikes Back is still very entertaining. I would, yeah, but um, it's better with like uh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's like along those lines, but more of a right. gap in, right. in like uh, entertainment watchability, maybe. Mm-hmm. Right. And at some point, too, the, my favorite line gets fucked up. You know what I mean? Like I'm trying to think of a good example. Like Caddyshack is a better movie than Ghostbusters Two, but I'm always going to rather watch Ghostbusters Two. Yes. I like it better. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I acknowledge that Caddyshack is a better comedy. Mm -hmm. Ghostbusters 2 is severely flawed at times. I mean, that's why the the gauntlet question one... The gauntlet question was, is it better than The Great Wall? That's that's my whole point is, is it better than Green Book? And I will take a yes. Yeah, it's better than Green Book. So right now, Green Book is the third out of three in our ranking of Best Best Picture winners. Yeah, I, I, and I've checked off Shakespeare in Love, and I'm going to have to rewatch it, because I think I might like Green Book better than Shakespeare in Love. Yeah, I mean... In, it's close. In in the Excel sheet that you made, I wrote down, just if I'd seen it, right. for most things, and then some things I'd recently seen. I'm not going to rewatch the last five years of Best Picture winners. I was only, yeah, I was just highlighting shit that I know I don't need to rewatch. But like, I've either seen it a bunch, or I've seen it recently. But like, if I go back past like Spotlight, and I go back past like Moonlight, and I go back past, you know... Birdman. Yeah. Like, once you get back to, like, 2012 Best Picture winner for me, like, I think I might need to rewatch that before I can definitively say if it's better or worse than Green Book. Yeah. That's all this exercise is about, Brent. I don't know if you listened to our last podcast, but... (laughs) I listen to all the podcasts, of course. As part of the great exhale and me dying, I, uh... (laughs) I'm just mad at the Academy. Anyway, sorry. That That's all. So we can uh, pass it on to Chris. Chris, what you been watching? Uh, literally nothing. I mean, not literally nothing. <laughs> I have eyeballs still in my head that function. Um, no, but I haven't really been watching anything. My, my latest distraction uh, has been uh, no, nothing that really we need to... You know, make note of. I've been watching a bunch of speed runs of old games because it's you know something to turn on in the background. Right? Mindless pay fun. attention. Yeah. You said nothing to make note of. I did it anyway. <laughs> uh, so if you want to skip past all the spoilers about nothing uh, and Mister Nobody, click on that one. Um, but no, uh, I will say that I have been playing a game which has kind of captured the country by storm. Uh, I have been playing a game called Apex Legends. Um, like PUBG originally, it is a battle royale. You are in a forced squad of three, and you drop onto a map, and you shoot boys. Can you solo? No, you can't. Only group of three. Only group of three. That's interesting. There are plans later on in the year to release it, uh, to release, like, a people have, like, looked at the source code, um, to do a duos mode and a solo mode. But I really think that they're trying to kind of highlight how good their system is uh, before that. And the thing that they have that is, I think, better than other Battle Royale modes are two things. 
The first one is that they have a context-sensitive ping. So you know how in PUBG you can click on the thing and you can say, like, hey, this gun's here. Mm-hmm. But you have to, like, click on the dialog box and you have to, like, use this, the, the wheel and you have to select, like, gun. And if you're pointing at it, it'll say, gun's here. Mm-hmm. In Apex Legends, if you are getting shot at by somebody and you hit the ping button and you're looking in the general direction of where you're being shot from, it'll, it'll say, any over here. And if you're, like, running around and you're looting and you already have a shotgun and assault rifle and you see, like, an extended clip for a submachine gun and you hit the ping button, it'll go, submachine gun extended mag level 2 here. And it'll ping it on the map for everyone. And the cool thing about that is you can also then, as someone who, who is, like, on that person's team, if you look in the general direction of what they pinged at, you can hit the button and you can say dibs. And then it will save that marker on your map until it's picked up or until you, like, cancel it. Huh. And so it's, it's all that over and over. Like, if you're running up and you see that there's... Because there's these, like, big, like, cylindrical storage lockers that are kind of scattered around the map. And if you run, in, run up to one and it's closed and you ping it, it'll say, uh, like, storage lockers, storage lockers full, no one's been here. And if it's open, it'll say, like, someone's been rifling through this. And so it's just, it's that kind of like context sensitive stuff that is really smart that doesn't, that you, I have never played with the microphone in this game and I've never felt like when I'm playing with a duo who is talking, like I've been out of the conversation because I've always been able to like open my inventory, hover over the empty optics slot on a sniper rifle, ping it, and then my character will go, need optics for my sniper rifle. And then it's like, that's clear. And then now my teammates know like if they see something on the ground that's like worse than what they have or that, you know, since they know I have a sniper rifle, maybe they want to give me the better one. Like they can do that. Um, so that's really neat. And the other thing I really like about it is it's got, um, (coughs) it's got along with the ping, the, fuck, I forgot it already. Um, there were two things, the context sensitive pings and there was, anyway, that's the one thing I really liked about it. <laughs> I'll think of it later, but you know, it's, in. it's <laughs> interesting because it's like it's like PUBG or Fortnite or whatever your battle royale kind of model is meets Overwatch because there's also what like, it looks like like individual character classes who can do stuff. Like there's one character who has like a grappling hook, so they have increased mobility, but also after like a long enough timer, they have a zip line that they can deploy. Um, and then as another one of their abilities, there's like 10 or 20 little antennas scattered on the map and they can see the circle before it closes. Hmm. So like you have that advanced knowledge. And then there's like a guy who can, uh, you know, he can like kind of send out a signal once and you can see if there's um, anyone nearby, but you kind of only get that one like quick like snapshot of where they are. And then if he uses his ultimate ability, then... You know, your screen goes red, but enemies are highlighted bright red, so you, like, can always see them even through, like, smoke or fog or poison or, like, if they're, like, around a rock and you can see part of them, it'll stand out. So, it's really, like, diverse set of champions who work well together. Um, but it's a ton of fun. Uh, It looks fun. I like it a lot. It looks like a, like, you know... Less annoying version of Fortnite. Well, you say I think you described it good with the Overwatch comparison. It looks a lot like Overwatch. Yeah, um, they're on a release schedule right now. I think maybe today. I haven't really checked the the breezy about this game recently, 
but um, they're going to have like a season. They're going to sell a battle pass, kind of like <clears throat> how Dota and PUBG and all like the big like games as a service games do. Um, but they're going to release a, uh, a new character every two to three months. Oh, fun! So it's going to be kind of evolving constantly. It's people to keep playing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, reason to log on. That's all they need. Yeah. And it's free. That's that's the other big thing. And that's why it's, you know, like, PUBG on everything but mobile is kind of a push because it, you have to pay for it. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, Fortnite was clearly the number one battle royale for a long time in the United States because it was free. You know, so... And you kids liked it. it was, yeah. So, like, if you're 10 years old, you don't need your parents' credit card. You can download it on your phone or you can download it on your computer or you can... Do whatever with it. And same with Apex Legends. And uh, it's kind of destroying uh, Fortnite now. To the point where Epic Games, who's the developer, uh, is putting out numbers. Just like kind of out of the blue. Being like, we've got 7 million concurrence. And it's like, well, that's cool. But like, no one was really wondering. No one really thought Fortnite was dead. But that you're like arbitrarily shouting at your numbers... Which I say arbitrarily, and I mean it because it's the end of February. Like the time for this and an earnings call would be the end of March, right? Which is the end of the fiscal no year, quarter, yeah, no which fiscal, is when you would expect yeah. there to be something like this. And they're like just randomly like screaming into like a canyon, like "We're not dead yet." <laughs> and so no one thought you were. So, <coughs> so it's kind of interesting, uh, kind of splash in the industry, especially with EA's other gambit, uh, kind of circling the toilet bowl with Anthem. But, yeah. Anyway, that's what I've been spending my recreation time doing. I haven't really been watching a lot of TV. Um, I can fill in uh, some details about the challenge, War of the Worlds. Yeah, I hear it's like a fun season. It is a fun season. Um, We already have the elimination of Johnny Bananas, uh, CT, and the winner from the previous season. So I was like, I know those first two, and the last one sounds important. Yeah. Well, Ashley won last season, and it was the she end. Did like of, a banana thing, right? Like took all the money. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. So they had like a trilogy between Dirty Thirty and whatever and whatever. I forget what they call them because they are all so similarly named. Um, but uh, so it was Ashley and Hunter got to the end and had the fastest time. And then the individual who had the fastest time among the pair in all of like the single legs, the single competitor legs of the marathon, uh, had the ability to uh, take all of the million dollars or split with their partner. She took all of it um, in kind of a big dramatic exit. You know, said that her partner basically slut shamed her all season, told her that she was a liar, and that she was like trying to play this like unethical like sexual game and it like disgusted him and so at the very end she was like fuck you I'm taking a million dollars um sure (laughs) yeah so so we're seeing an exodus of a lot of vets who are I mean CT is a challenge beast Johnny Bananas is the winningest challenge competitor and Ashley is the most recent winning challenge competitor so the shaving out to be a really interesting season uh the War of the Worlds concept is a little bunk um we already lost the one guy from Mexico, and there's one guy from Turkey. The rest are from the UK and the US. That's, Basically, I think there's another it's like guy a from simulation Mexico. of the real <laughs> wars through history. 
Well, it's funny because the guy from Turkey won uh, Survivor Turkey. Yeah. And uh, he's like very clearly not clued into like the dirty shit talking, mudslinging, bullying stuff that goes on in the MTV game show houses. Oh, I'm sure. It's this guy Turbo, and he's a lot of fun because he had the ability to be the final vote out of six. To either create a tie and then make one of the six people who were safe from going into elimination vulnerable, or to flip his vote and kind of, you know, muddy the waters a little bit or cause some waves. Mm-hmm. And he gave what the cast described as a five minute speech about like honor and loyalty. And MTV like chopped and edited it with people like groaning and like running their hands through their hair because that's probably the kind of thing that he's used to talking about at a tribal council. Mm-hmm. When he's like justifying a vote or how he feels about something, and so as like a survivor and challenge fan, I was watching it and being like, "Dude, you are such like a fish in the shark pond right now." Yeah, but wrong show. Except he's he would be someone like uh, whoever like a challenge beast from the survivor was because he's like built like a brick shit house. Oh, nice. So it's kind of a, a soft landing for him on the challenge. He just doesn't understand that there's like a mental game. That is, people carry grudges for 20 years on the challenge and, uh, you know, ally yourself immediately with the largest alliance or get ready to be fed to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think he's caught on that yet, but he's a lot of fun to watch. Nice. But, anyway, that's it. I'm done talking about stuff. Um, play Apex Legends because it's free and watch the challenge because you probably have MTV. That's my pitch. <laughs> Brilliant. Now it's to me. Uh, I've only been watching a couple of things <coughs> lately. <coughs> Sorry. I'll uh, start with a, a real quick recommendation for a Netflix special, which I, it is by sure, uh, pure luck that I just happened to click play on this. This is definitely not the kind of thing that I would have taken notice of. Uh, but it's Adam Sandler's 100% Fresh uh, stand-up special. And it is uh, pretty much a... It's, I don't know, probably about 40% normal stand-up and 60% music. Mm-hmm. And It's uh, like the old recipe for old like 90s Sandler stand-up. It, yeah, it reminded me of 90s Sandler because uh, all the songs would be like 45 seconds long. Yeah. You know, it, they would all just be one joke. Right. And... Uh, but it had uh, had Ashley and I laughing pretty consistently, uh, and then uh, at the towards the very end of the show, there's a, a couple of performances that are heartwarming and just touching, <laughs> and I was uh, really impressed with it. And uh, I mean, it's not gonna you know blow you away or anything, but sure. if you're if you ever liked Adam Sandler and you don't like most of what Adam Sandler's been doing lately, <laughs> and that is that is the circle I'm in, right? Then uh, it's a it's it's a good watch. It's short too. It's like a, maybe in about an hour or so. Um, it's been on Netflix for a while, but I, I just sort of really noticed it. Yeah, last week it's popping up though. Am I like you should watch this more? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's getting more prominent placement in my queue. I really like the, um, I watched a bit of it, I really like the kind of divine execution that they have, where instead of doing a tour of 60 different venues, 
over the course of three months, and then at some point that comedian is picking the one where they're going to record, and then that's mm-hmm. their one, and then they edit, you know. Most most comics don't edit in, like, laughter, but, like, you kind of edit out dead time, and you edit out, you know, like, if there's a heckler, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. But Adam Sandler's approach was, he took, what, like, five? I think, so, it's, e- it's either uh, three or four shows plus uh, rehearsal. Yeah. And... And so he basically just took like his best performance of those of those nights and spooled it together as his routine probably normally is. Mm-hmm. It just it it feels very smart. Yeah. For the format when people are like three minute videos, mm-hmm. you know, right. where where someone someone is going to go on his or his people are going to take hundred percent fresh. They're going to isolate the bits they think work best. They're going to put them on YouTube, and they're going to get millions of views. Mm-hmm. So that he's already like kind of segmented it into these pieces is just like a really smart way to do something. Take a comedy hour format that some people would call hacky. You know, standing up there telling jokes and playing songs mm-hmm. is kind of frowned upon these days, and like perfecting it in a weird way. Yeah, it's a weird like the. Far better editing than you would expect from a comedy one-hour special. Yeah. When it started, it was jarring to me, too. Because mm-hmm. I was like, they cut away to some other, like, Cause, audience yeah. and stage, and I was like, what? Like, is this kind of a greatest hits? And it'll do it mid-joke sometimes. Yeah. It'll do, like, uh, it will cut mid-joke almost sort of seamlessly. So you're kind of weaving in and out of, it's uh, Sandler at a huge hall mm-hmm. with a, a huge audience, small comedy club. And like empty rehearsal studio, and there may be a, a another mid-sized venue somewhere in there in between, um, and so he'll go from just him telling a story or, or making a joke on with just his piano player there, um, to you know thousands of people in the audience. Yeah, and it's uh it's pretty cool. It's it, it's well done, and, and they don't use it as like for emotional manipulation, like when like a joke doesn't hit, so then he puts in. When it sure. does hit, it's like, because they will play it the opposite, and he'll, like, tell a joke, and then it'll cut the dress rehearsal, and there's no after. So it's like just kind of ballsy filmmaking a little. He also like, does... It is more filmmaking than probably most comedy specials, and I think I think that's... I said perfecting earlier, and I kind of regretted it, but it's it's kind of an interesting take on the net, on the comedy hour. Right. You know, that's the goal. You get your hour. Mm-hmm. Um, and Netflix is kind of you know, regurgitating money at people who have, like, a good hour and they're popular. And Sandler fell out of nowhere. And I really hope that this is one of his, like, how many pictures did he sign on with Netflix for? Like, six at the time. this counts. Yeah, I (laughs) hope this counts because this is... What I saw of it, it was, like, 30 minutes, was really good. Yeah. And he also doesn't always include his best version of everything. There's There's definitely one song where he forgets the words and just... Has to apologize. He's like, ah, I fucked up. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I forgot the words. Everybody has a good laugh. Um, yeah, I mean, I assume if you're going to see Adam Sandler live, you're like, you think he's God at this point. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, definitely recommend it. Uh, also been catching up. Not really catching up. I was already caught up. That's a bad, <laughs> a bad way to put it. I have been rewatching, Refamiliarizing. Refamiliarizing is good. is a good word for this because... Uh, it's been a couple of years since I've seen any Game of Thrones, so I've decided to rewatch the entire series. Um, started like three weeks ago, 
and I have I'm almost caught back up. I'm about <laughs> three, four episodes. It's a lot back. of it's a lot of watching. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, now that I kind of I don't have to hang on every word for plot revelations like I did on the first watch. So this your third watch for five seasons, right? <sighs> yes. So I'd watched. Uh, yeah, I helped TJ catch up back in the day, and so we watched the. I rewatched the first five seasons with him mm-hmm. um, several years ago, and uh, but rewatching seasons six and seven have been very helpful because I kind of forgot a lot of the movements of the characters here and there. There is a that great lot website is down. It's not up to oh. date. I know the click the episode, click the character, and they'll show you oh. where they've been. It's not. It's only called up through season six. Mm-hmm. I never did seven. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's been fun because I can. Well, first, because I haven't watched any Game of Thrones in two years, and so now I I really feel excited now for the new season. God, has it been two years? That's crazy. Yeah, it was the uh, like a year and a half at this point. Right, yeah. it's summer of twenty seventeen was when it uh, last aired. Huh. Um, so not quite two years, but, but yeah, no, it it's feels still... like a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've. Uh, Is it any good? It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to take a different approach and like. Pick a few episodes and go back and try to watch those before April 14th. So, I, I was going to do that too. Or 4th, whatever. HBO, I didn't realize it was a free weekend for HBO, and Kelly and I were just kind of like watching randomly, and it was like, oh, well, Game of Thrones is on, so like if we're cooking or doing whatever, we'll just like throw it on. Um, and it was like somewhere in season five, like, I think season five kind of hits, hits a weird lull mid-season that I'm not super excited about. Uh, and so then we were like, oh, well, like, I, I'm curious. Like, I want to see the Battle of the Bastards. And so we, like, went and we, like, picked the episode on On Demand for Battle of the Bastards. And then we just watched the rest of it. Like, nice. We, like, we were, like, planning on, like, picking a couple episodes. But we were like, well, Battle of the Bastards, watch that. And then let's watch the rest of it. That's what's crazy is, like, Battle of the Bastards top ten episode for sure. And the episode that succeeds it as a top ten episode. Like, you were... You were so like predisposed to episode nine as the crazy episode ten as stage setter for the next season. Yeah, and then that episode ten happens, and you're just like, "Oh my god, they killed half the show!" Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's uh, uh I think the uh, music that plays during that scene is phenomenal. I think, I think that's my favorite episode of the show. Episode ten of that season wins a winner. I I do think that it is the big turning point for. Sorry, I know you probably weren't planning on getting like mired in details of individual episodes. I really do think that that is the major turning point for the for Cersei and Jamie, and that ultimately is the begin the beginning of her downfall. It's you're saying like when he starts seeing her as a monster more than his. Well, when she basically becomes Mad King Eris, right, right. Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting because she is she essentially, you know, had convinced herself that her kids were going to die, and it didn't matter what she did. Mm-hmm. And that was super interesting. Because well, that was one thing that at least she always had that was humanizing. was like her undying love for those To the point where she manipulates Jamie, spoiler alert for your rewatch, into <laughs> pretending like she's pregnant. Yeah. Like. Yeah. So the daughter's the last to die, right? No, it's Tommen. Tommen's the die. Oh, she's yeah. alright. Yeah. Um, so the. Marjorie. Doran already kills the. Yeah, Marjorie the, was already kissed. She She dies. At the beginning of season six, or near the end of season, or was no, that because season season six is the one that gets 
What's the season where Tyrion's in jail? Five for most of the season? Oh, four. Yeah, that's four. Four. Yeah. Then season five has, is the one with all the Dorn stuff. Yeah. Season five ends with Marcella getting killed. Yeah, okay. I think. Yeah. That's 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 the they part of the season... Dungeon. That's a... Cersei death. Yeah, the, one of the one of the season five episodes that was on when Kelly and I were like, let's watch good episodes, was one where it's just like, 50% of the episode is like, Braun and Jamie just like, pound around Dorn, and it's like, this is so inconsequential. Because I think, yeah, because uh, Jamie is still gone to Dorn when Cersei has her walk of shame. Yeah, he is. And so it's after the walk of shame that yeah, he he's brings not, her home. He's not home for any of that. No, yeah. but he's gone to rescue Marcella at that yeah. point. Um. Yeah, so it's been, I don't know, it's been fun to see how the se- how I feel about the seasons now that I just kind of know most of the big story. Yeah. Um, season one is a great season for introducing everything, for building the world and, and throwing you in. Mm-hmm. Um, season two is a little sluggish at times. It has some of my least favorite storylines for the biggest characters. Like, I think Karth is one of the weaker Daenerys yeah, ventures, and I also think that season two, John, just kind of there's not a whole lot that happens with John in season two, other than he's is that him ranging. Yeah, but it's not the better part. It's okay. not like uh, Corn Halfhand or any of that. It's just uh, yeah, trying to fit in. Kind of, we go yeah. north of the wall. We find they find the white. Yeah, and they bring it home, and uh, he kills the white basically, yeah. and that's that's pretty much it. I didn't mind Karth on the first watch, only because I felt like it was so like. It was character building this. It was like the next step after she had like, I don't know how to talk about this, but like tamed um, the Darth Rocky guy. Drogo? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, when she like decided to fuck him and like fuck him good. You know that weird shit in the first season? Yeah. Um, it seemed like the next step Karth was because then you were like, oh, she's like a badass. She's willing to just, that's the city, the greatest city that ever was, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, she's ruthless enough to just shut these people in a safe and leave them there to fucking rot. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, pe- people have talked about se- season... It's definitely character building and not, like, relevant plot. Though. Yeah, people have talked about season one for Daenerys is her learning how to be kind of a, a dutiful queen. or And season two on is her learning how to be, like, the head regent. It's, like, it's all her finally learning how to rule as opposed to learning how to be, like... Kind of a figurehead as she was with Khal Drogo, right? And that turn happens like episode nine when Miri Mazdor basically kills Drogo in season one, mm-hmm. right? Um, season three, I really enjoyed season three. I think three and four are probably my two favorite seasons, at least for the season long. Mm-hmm. So you get the fun pair ups there too. Lots of pair ups. Um, you also, you know, season three has the red wedding, which. Mm-hmm. frankly eliminates one of the more boring storylines of the show for me. Well, I mean, they, they don't, most of it's not on camera. Mm-hmm. Like all the exciting stuff with Rob Stark is never on camera. And it's the same way in the books. Yeah. Is most of Rob's conquests in the you North. You hear other people you, reacting to them. You hear about how Rob beat Jamie in battle and it's like, okay, but you never see anything. There's no perspective of any character who was physically there. Yeah. I was talking to Brent so about that today. The history of ice and fire does a good job of, Conveying how much of a badass Rob supposedly was, yeah, in battle, yeah, and it's and it's the same in the books as it is in the show. Rob is a great commander until he's love struck, yeah, and he's love struck by the wrong person, yeah, 
and I, you know, I, I like that something needed to happen with Joffrey's storyline too, like because mm-hmm. it was just going to be, uh, and the only. So I, I like the moments, the big moments. I guess I like the way that Ramsay winds up because Ram, Ramsay gets brought in around the same time Joffrey's story comes to a close because mm. it's like, well, we need a sadist. So, right. Um, <laughs> um, but like, I, I don't know. I did not really find Ramsay that interesting this time around, except I found he's just more of a blunt, uh, a blunt weapon to impact other characters in the show mm-hmm. to me. And, uh, um, that's interesting. I thought him and the Theon shit in the beginning was super interesting. I mean, it was morbid and, Horrifying, but it was good. Yeah, I guess I just mean that like, there, there's never any other side to Ramsay, right? And he's just sort of a like. There, Cersei is a really interesting villain for this show because there's like humanity to her, and especially by the end of season seven, where she's like at the parlay and is like trying, like pretending, or at least is representing that she's cooperating mm-hmm. with this like fight against the North, like against sorry the White Walkers in the North. Yeah, she has a, she has a full character arc and is a dynamic enough character, but Ramsey is very one dimensional. Right. Well, I'm not saying he has no place in the show. It's just after after a certain point, it is it is just a little sort of here more of the same. Right. Um, same way Joffrey was. Right. Yeah. So again, I was more than ready for Battle of the Bastards to come around by the time it did. Yeah, I bet. Um, I think the more recent seasons, even if I don't enjoy them as much overall as three and four, they uh, are uh, they have some really high point episodes that I love. That's kind of what they feel like more. Like like each season will have like maybe three great great episodes, yeah. And then things in between are just sort of like by this point, there's just so many sprawling storylines in yeah. Game of Thrones that it's just like we got to get ten spend ten minutes to catch up with Varys, spend ten minutes to right. see. Marjorie, the the season with the um, the faith militant are the yeah the faith militant the faith is that the same thing as the sparrows yeah okay yeah, yeah. the uh, boy the jail stuff with the it really it's sort of like it drags. the new dorn yes yeah. it was with it, Marjorie first Cersei and it's like okay we saw it with Cersei we get it and then it's just like well we'll cut over and see how Marjorie's rea- Marjorie's reacting to it oh the same yeah and. and what uh, Loras do, and and the rough thing is that that is also the same season where Arya's going through her one on one with the Waif. Oh yeah, another yeah, thing that, that dragged out. That That's... was also pretty unfulfilling in general. Yeah, as excited as I was for the her going off with uh, whatever his name is, Richard Not... E. Grant, the, the troop. <laughs> The, the acting oh, that's right. We had three episodes on that acting troop, yeah. which was just... I did not remember that. See, I, 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 I like the acting troop stuff. What I hated was all of the... All of like the betrayal of the Faceless God and taking someone who was promised and then like she's allowed to go after her because she didn't sell her oysters, carcals, like yeah. whatever the... <laughs> that's the thing. That's the thing. I never got it. That's the... Maybe they do a better job in the books, or they will do a better job in the books. I'm not sure where, it, how far she gets, because I haven't read that far. But maybe maybe it does a better job in the books. But I felt the show didn't do a great job of establishing what exactly the rules were of being one of the faceless people. They're not spoiling anything from the books, but just like Alt-Shift-X and like other stuff. I don't think there are rules. I think the only rule is that when someone is marked for death, 
then a life must be paid to the faceless god. And it doesn't matter. Like it, it should be that person, but if someone prevents it, then they should pay that price. Kind of like if you are an intervener that stops that from happening, then you should die. Okay. Um, but I don't think there are rules because the faceless god is, you know, kind of like the agnostic answer to like, well, I think that all spirituality is valid. Yeah. Like that's, it's, they are, they are first and foremost a religion, but then their primary function as a religion is we murder people for money. Well, I do wish they had established that better. Like what you just said, because instead all we really get is Arya just kind of, you know, sometimes she'll carry out something for the group and then sometimes she'll do something on her own. And every time she gets the same reaction from him, which is just weird backwards talk. Like, yeah. Did a girl decide to do this or did a girl, you know, like, yeah. what is a girl's name? And and I'm just like, what is happening here? <laughs> what, how does this function? Like, why did he, I, I, anyway, it was, uh, not a lot of explanation there, but, um, at the very least it turned Arya into a badass and at least we got some payoffs for that. Yes. When she got back to Westeros. I don't want to say the end justify the means, but I love watching her kill the entire phrase. Yes. And someone just posted on like Reddit uh, both scenes back to back of uh, her feeding the the oldest Frey twins to uh, Walder, and then <coughs> her posing as Walder killing the rest of the Freys. Mm. And it is six minutes. But in my head, it's 20 minutes. Yeah. Because I just want to live in that of all of them just being murdered by what is, at least in the books, like a 12-year-old girl. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Shaden Freud right there. You said Varys earlier. Have y'all read the Varys is a merman thing? Yes. I've read that. Oh. <laughs> so it all stems back to... Two, the, two things. At the end of Game of Thrones, the book, and the first season, someone describing hearing footsteps like underneath King's Landing, and it's like hearing like a wet sloshing sound. <laughs> it's also his, his robe. Right. Just like, you never see his legs. And uh, Tyrion says he'll throw him off the boat at some point, and he, his quote is like, you might not get the result you would want. Yeah. And also how he gets the Dragonstone in like one day. <laughs> it's because he just swims across the, the narrow sea. Is that why he's hairless? It's for more efficient swimming? <laughs> yeah. He's, that's why he's a eunuch. That's why he, he's a eunuch too. So he's more aerodynamic just, in the water. I, I hope that he was a merman. And now the showrunners are hearing everybody make fun of it. And they're like, okay, we got to get the merman thing out of here. What if, what if he's the drown god? <laughs> the, what does dead man ever die? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. But, see, I, I've picked up on a few little things, like little, uh, uh, I guess, um, foreshadowing for the new season in that, like, uh, there's that moment at Dragonstone with Melisandre when she says, you and I both have to die in this country. You yeah. Know? And I don't know how. Varys reacts to that like he's like, oh, my God, she knows. But I'm curious, what? <laughs> why would he react like that? So, well, it was, it was merman a, stuff. Merman stuff. That's what I assume. <laughs> Well, it was a red priest who I think took his balls. It's never explicitly said. Okay. But. He calls him like a wizard, but I assume yeah, that it would have the same when, similar. When, when he's telling Tyrion the story, mm-hmm. uh, when he's got like the box, um, he says that, that a wizard took his balls. But mm-hmm. I think that 
There's another character who says that they saw it through the flame, which makes me think that it was a red priest who did it to him. Keep him in a, like a Harry Potter kind of box, isn't that right? Like yeah, it reminded me of, uh, it reminded me of, uh, Boggart's, Goodly-Oz guy, um, oh, Mad-Eye Moody. Yeah. Mad-Eye Moody's, the guy who was Mad-Eye Moody, the son. Barty Keeping, Crouch Jr. Yeah, yeah. Barty Crouch. Keeping Mad-Eye in the box, yeah. yeah. I swear, Kelly introduces me to friends of hers, and I'm like, I don't know that person. But if you say, like, that guy from the box, not the guy with the crazy eye, and I go, Barty Crouch Jr., like, <laughs> I can remember names in fiction way better than I can in real life. Well, yeah, there's, like, 15, like, Johns. There's one Barty Crouch Jr. <laughs> you don't get him confused with your neighbor. Yeah, but I remember really obscure characters from Game of Thrones, like Miri Mazdor. <laughs> you do. <It's> true. <laughs> All right, well, um, that's it for me. Do we want to... You know what? I, I think I can actually punt on Survivor Talk a little bit. We've yeah, it's we, been a we, boring couple episodes. Yeah, it's people are kind of getting their footing there. I will briefly say that uh, um, we've kind of gotten a little idea about how Edge of Extinction works, which is once voted out, you go to the end of the path. Here's a fl- uh, burning torch. You have the option of uh, do I go left and jump on the boat, or do I go right and uh, and leave the game. The boat will take you to a new place where you, quote, have a shot to get back in the game. It should be an easy decision. We'll see if everybody has uh, an easy time with it or not. Uh, Kelly was saying, and this is the only thing I'll say about this season of Survivor, uh, this episode. Um, she was saying that she thought that the choice would have been way more impactful if the first person voted out wasn't like, kind of like New York, like rough and tough mom, who, when she got to the end, she was going, holy crap. Holy crap! <laughs> Holy crap! Like constantly just chanting, like "Oh crap! Oh crap!" Well, it's like it's this big ceremonious, like take the torch and walk to the boat if you want. Oh no! Well, yeah. uh, TJ is still yet to see episode two, but I will say episode two gives us an even more irritating moment at That's, the torch. It is a great reprise of. <laughs> they really should like make Jeff walk with the person and be like. Like, our producers work really hard on this. <laughs> yeah. So, there's definitely a point in episode two when uh, I'm just I'm watching the screen and I just yell, You should just go right. <laughs> yeah. You should just leave. <laughs> but, uh, um, anyway, right. so they'll go, they'll be taken. Now, we're not sure what happens when the second person goes yet. We don't know if they go to the same place. Don't know that. Um, but we do know that uh, Reem... Yeah. Ugh, has uh was the first out and so she one of the more objectively irritating castmates that I've seen. Yeah. Well, she was long on this show. Great one, man. Great first boot. Just a great first yeah. boot. An yeah. obvious one. Someone's hiding my clothes and putting them out on the beach and like someone's taking my shoes and my socks and putting them somewhere else. And someone's taking our water can I canteens. love the you could see her in that travel in the first episode being like, Okay, get it together and apologize. You'd be like, I'm sorry if me trying to help you? <laughs> just couldn't couldn't hold it back, man. And I'm sorry if you're an idiot, but that's y'all's problem. And it's probably product of the edit, but her first one-on-one in the first episode is telling someone, don't call me mom. I don't want the mom label. Yeah. And then everyone's like, we're voting you out because we don't want our mom on this island. <laughs> and she's like, well, I'm doing it for your own good. <laughs> And it's like, well, fuck. Like, at least I'll try not to get the label. You'll thank me one day. <laughs> I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, so she's out on uh, uh, 
Edge of Extinction, Extinction. Island. It's, it's another <laughs> dumb name season. But uh, she's on Extinction Island, and uh, so, boy, they don't give her much. I did say, like, there's an old sail on the ground, and she turns it into a, I was expecting, like, towel, shelter. He's like, skirt? <laughs> she makes it into a dress. So at some point, she can. there's a flagpole with a white flag where if she wants to leave, she just raises the white flag. Yep. Um, but other than that, that shelter is not a shelter. That that hollowed out boat they show her the first night, she is just uh, sitting upright and sleeping. Huddled, to, huddled in sleep. the cold, yeah. Huddled. Um, so I'm really hoping that other castaways don't go to the same spot or it would kind of cheapen the edge of extinction. Yeah. Because I loved, as someone who was uh, a fan of Stranded with a Million Dollars, which is the failed MTV, yeah. not MTV show, um, the idea that she's alone yeah. and then the next person is alone and then everyone else who gets voted off is alone. Like, I still want them to not have water and food. Can't. I mean, you just say like medical's watching, and if it gets if it doesn't rain, that's your problem. But you know what I mean? They, Seriously, they, go check out seasons like three and four on on Amazon. I mean, I just don't yeah. know why they couldn't. If like medical's here, as soon as you like show any signs of anything, we're just gonna pull you. Yeah. If it rains, you better catch them water. <laughs> <laughs> Season four, you get down to like the last four or five people, and uh, there's one of them who's just like he's not walking in a straight line anymore. <laughs> Yeah. Because he's just like exhaustion, he's, he's dehydration, like an emaciated old man. Yeah, as they're giving him food and water, they better fucking be alone. Because then it's no different than Survivor. Well, if, if oh, you're, you're just believe... talking about extinction, you're not yeah. talking about right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you um, believe her confessional, yeah. she said she had two bites of rice. But that's if you believe her confessional. If it's not edited well to prove their edge of extinction point for the theme, right? Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure. I don't know what a bite is anyway. But I mean, yeah. if, if that's if that's a meal, then she had two meals in three days. That's which rough. Is like that's rough. Yeah, yeah, sure. So we'll, yeah. But I agree. Like we need to see kind of more of what the dynamics are of, of yeah. that, um, which we will in future episodes. Um, and completely forgot the other thing I was going to mention about it. So I guess hey, I did that earlier. Hey. <laughs> Um, I got just one little, like, 20-second blip on Breezy. We're doing Breezy? Breezy. On the streets? Uh, Tiana Paris, who is in Bill Street. Oh. Tish? Yeah. Yeah. Um, she's getting cast as a lead in the Candyman remake, which will probably come out in 2020. Oh, awesome. If nobody's ever seen the original Candyman, it's not your generic, like, slasher. It's a really good film. Um... Uh, with a cool ending and super excited for the remake or sequel or whatever it's going to be. But she's cast as the lead there. I don't really have any other breezy shit. The, they're, all the news sites right now are just like, Game of Thrones theories everywhere. Yeah. And they're dumb. Um, <laughs> Mark Meadows. Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt are expected to return for the Edge of Tomorrow sequel. I saw that. That was announced today. What's it going to be called, Brent? Oh, they don't have a name, but I'm, I'm banking on uh, on Live Die Three Peak. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've got a little little bit of news that I want to talk about. Uh, uh, Nintendo of America uh, president and uh, COO of Nintendo uh, Reggie Fizeme uh, stepped down. He is resigning. And uh, for people who are really into games, this is a big deal. He's been the face since 2006, 2007. Um, of all Nintendo products not being told to us in, in Japanese, um, especially after the past, passing of uh, Iwata. You yeah. know, it's kind of a big deal to have someone who could kind of shoulder that burden. Uh, but 
Uh, for everyone else, the most amusing part of this story is that his replacement of uh, President of Nintendo of America is a man named Doug Bowser. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> yes. That's uh, great. Go, go, his, and it's, and he's, he's, he is having fun also that his last oh, name is course. Bowser. Yeah. Uh, where his, uh, the, the image that he had on Twitter when he announced that he'd be stepping into the shoes of, by the way, Reggie fils is like six foot six. <laughs> And so, like, being, like, Nintendo man, yeah. like, heads and shoulders above everyone else in the corporation was always really amusing. Um, but Doug Bowser's image was, uh, it was Mario and Luigi, like, stuffed dolls in the background looking like they were tied up for ransom. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, here, a small bit of news that uh, Chris's better half would have found interesting. Um, Star is Born is getting a re-release with an extended cut. So... There's that to look forward to. Well, maybe they'll just never know. Maybe there'll is. be more songs for you to learn. I'm only gonna watch it if he just, like doesn't kill himself in this one. Um, it's the only way I want to rewatch Stars Born. Also, uh, the, or if she's okay with it. The, uh, <laughs> the music. Her agent it. wins, and she's like, "Actually, you're right. Him dying is the best thing I have in my career." And then she sings more songs like, "Why do you do that?" <laughs> Uh, also, uh, the DC folks have uh, decided first two, to give up. <laughs> two bits of news. Two bits of news. Uh, Aquaman two has been greenlit, yeah. uh, which makes sense. It was a huge money maker, yeah, and a surprising amount of fun for that series. And they have decided uh, they they have also said they are moving away from a connected universe. What? How so, do you do that from like a whole like property? So basically, I think they're just going. There's like we're just going to make some Wonder Woman movies and some Aquaman movies, yeah. and not worry so much about tying them all together. And uh, the well, Suicide Squad. Well, our you Bat- making the Suicide Squad sequel. Yeah, Will Great. Smith is not going to be in it. Yeah. Well, our Batman's a lady. <laughs> like what? What do you do? Like we'd be like, well, there's three DCEU movies coming out this year, but they're not in the same universe. It's got Lady Batman, uh, Batman's dead in this one, and the next one is a Batman prequel. It's like, what What kind of But it's just a bat. continuity? It's just a <laughs> bat. It's actually Nosferatu. We'll make it Batman, but think like Planet Earth 3. Just about bats. Ugh. Is this really what we're doing next? Yeah. That is, and, nothing, and nobody's coming out. Nobody's of course they're it. not. Yeah. Sorry, I'm skipping ahead. Yeah, yeah. So we're there. It. What do you want to watch this weekend? Um, and every studio was smart enough to not release anything on the same weekend as Captain Marvel. Yeah, everyone just GTFO'd, and I looked at it, and that's what my incredulity was about. Like, wait, really? We have to do this as a feature in this podcast that we don't normally do? Holy shit, next week is awful. Yeah. (laughs) Because people are still going to be seeing Captain Marvel. They were like, get the hell away from that week when we release our movie. Actually, Captain State doesn't look awful. It doesn't look great, but it doesn't look awful. But anyway. Captain State? Captain State. <laughs> but Captain Marvel. We yeah. uh, go see Captain Marvel, I'm sure. It'll be great. Yeah. Yeah. Great maybe a push, but it'll at worst be really good. <laughs> yeah. If you want to know what happens in at the end of Infinity War, but you don't actually because this takes place in like the late 80s, early 90s. Then get all your questions not answered here. <laughs> you get like young Samuel L. Jackson, so that'll be weird. Yeah. Take us out, Breezy. All right, that's it. That was Talk to Talk, podcast for the media by us.com. 
You can uh, check out our website at the previously mentioned website domain that I just announced for you. Uh, Nobody's listening at this point anyway. Uh, Please subscribe to our podcast. Give us a rating as long as you enjoyed it. And uh, check us out on Twitter, Gmail. You know where to find us. You know where to do. And uh, last but not least, thanks to the Willow Walkers. Thanks, Willow Walkers. And thank you to Boo Reefa. Boo Reefa. They do the intro and the outro respectively. And thank you to Chris. Yep. Thank you to TJ. Yep. And thank you to Brent. Kicking Bye. rocks down old dusty roads. Small town slowpokes, long time ago. Kicking out records of all the things that I know. All the things.